Amen. Thank you for that. Nicely done. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to see your faces. I was really overwhelmed with emotion just seeing some of you come in because, you know, we get to spend much of our week here being in the office, but I know for many of you, you haven't been in this building in a while, and it's got to be really strange. So welcome back. Welcome back. A couple of changes you're going to see just this morning. Obviously, you're going to see only about one-third of each other's faces. That's a little weird. Other one is uh, I'm going to try to contain myself to the pulpit this morning um, just because of the moving around and the camera and the stuff. And, you know, uh, but I do think maybe one thing we need to add is like at Starbucks, I saw they've got the plexiglass spit cover thing here. I might need that today because uh, we are in a series called Humble Hope, How to Live in Humble Hope. And we're going to be looking this morning, uh, continuing our study of the Thessalonian letters. This morning, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, we're looking at verses 13 through 16, chapter 2, verses thir- 13 through 16. So if you have your Bible with you or a handout with you, you can open that up. Um, if you have Bible on your phone, you can do that. I'll put it up on the screen for you as well, but there's just something about holding God's Word in your hand that can be so precious. Let me pray before we do the reading this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence here in and around and stirring our hearts. Father, as we open up your Word I pray, God, that we would have some measure, some measure the excitement that Thessalonian church had that day when they unwrapped the letter and read it from you, because you have written it through Paul, preserved it by the Holy Spirit, knowing that we would spend time in it today. So let it speak to us this morning, Father, not as human words, not as my words, but as your word for all of us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 13 through 16, it says this. It says this. I just want to make sure you can see it too. I'm, uh, there you go. Oh, back. Perfect. Paul writes, We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as a human word, but what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And drove us out. They displease God and oppose everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. Thus, they have constantly been filling up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has overtaken them at last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes. Tough word, but it begins with a moment of gratitude, Paul giving thanks for how the Thessalonian church had received the gospel. Now, this is Paul's second surge of gratitude. The first one opened the letter. Chapter 1, verse 2, Lars led us in that a couple of weeks ago. Paul was thankful to God for the Thessalonian believers, their faith, their love, and their humble hope. And now he's back in chapter 2 with another dose of gratitude because they received the gospel as a revelation from God himself. 
It wasn't human words or, or new human theology or new thinking. They received the gospel and held it precious like God is speaking in this way and that really brought it to their hearts. There's something in that for us even today. When we read the word of God and we consider the gospel, it's not just human words and human logic and kind of human religion. We're literally reading the word of God. We're spending time in the company of the voice of the almighty God. And this is the way he has served Now, because they recognized this gospel as God's word, they received it with conviction and with power. This is why Paul says it is at at work in you. It is at work in you, believers. Then he says, and you became imitators of the church in Judea. Now, they actually had a great reputation, the church in Judea, for, you know, one being that first seed, the first generation of believers, but they also had a reputation for being attacked for their faith. It was a church with hot persecution always on them. They were known for carrying their faith on in a hostile, hostile culture. Paul says, and you, Thessalonians, you became imitators of the church in Judea. Now, the background for this persecution of the Thessalonians is actually in Scripture. We can read about it. It is in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. If you have a Bible with you or Bible app, you can flip it to there. Acts chapter 17, the verse, first nine verses. It's the background to this Thessalonian conversion, them receiving the word with power and then paying for it through persecution. This is a time when Paul and Silas have gone on and they found themselves in Thessalonica there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul goes in like he normally does, and he finds the nearest synagogue. And for three, three Sundays, three Sabbaths, excuse me, three Saturdays, he's there preaching in the synagogue, having people look in the Old Testament and showing him how Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, must suffer, must die. Okay, maybe he made that point well. And then he says, and it happened. And the suffering Messiah who must die and must be raised is none other than Jesus Christ. And it was so powerful, it was so powerful that many people came to Christ and started following Jesus. Now the word tells us that some Jews did, that was a tough jump for them, but some made it, lots of Greeks, and quite a few women of the leading women, influential women, came to faith in Christ because Paul for just three weeks was there preaching All the promises of God that we can read in Scripture are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Come and follow the Lord. And many came to faith. In three weeks. It's beautiful. But, as we said, then persecution. Immediately, they faced persecution. Violence. Threats of arrest. In fact, the, the, the leader Jews went over and they grabbed people. They even grabbed a mob out of the town and started making riots in the streets. Too soon. Too soon, I know. But there were violence in the streets, and the Scripture tells us then that they even grabbed a guy named Jason. Jason was a new convert. It, Paul had only been there for three weeks. He came to know Christ, received Paul and Silas into his home, and within three weeks he's now being dragged out in the street, being arrested and threatened. He had to post bail. For him and his buddies to get out. Three weeks, he had given his life to Christ. He's being arrested, dragged, and having to post bail. Uh, you got to imagine a guy like that's like, no, I didn't sign up for any of this. I didn't sign up for that. I just heard about this Jesus. It sounded good. I didn't sign up for this. He became an imitator of the church in Judea. 
So Paul is commending and relating their suffering with those Judeans, the first church there, who also faced local persecution. And I'm always fascinated, you know, again, we have these intimate towns. Uh, If you're from Hinsdale, you know a lot of people from Hinsdale. From Western Springs, you know a lot of people from your community. You spend there a long time enough. You know, what's interesting is these Judean believers and these Thessalonian believers, they still had to live in the town. Like Jason had to post bail, get out, still go to Mariano's to get his groceries. There he is. And everyone knew him. Oh, there's the guy who was following the Jesus. And they were saying he's a new king. We don't allow that. And I know he posted bail. Like there would have been, they had still had to live there with that reputation. Facing persecution because of their faith in Christ. So Paul is saying, you know, what happened to them in Judea is happening to you. And I'm so impressed at how you're hanging in there in your faith. You see, friends, accepting Christ for real and committing yourself to following Jesus will often have consequences. Accepting Christ And committing yourself to following Jesus and his ways will often have consequences. Now, Paul, in the scripture we read, verse 15, he turns his attention now to the Jews. He said, these are the ones that have have threatened you and have persecuted you. And this isn't new. He said the Jews there in verse 15, he starts to focus on them. Now, let me be clear He is talking about local Jews in this particular area. He is not condemning the entire race of Jewish people. We can't read it that way. Some people have. That's wrong. He's saying Jews there, local, not the whole race of Jews. They have killed the prophets, which is a a very exaggerated way of saying they have denied the prophets. It wasn't maybe actual killing of prophets, but there was killing them if you don't listen to them. And now Jesus, same thing, didn't listen to Jesus. That's like killing him. However, we also know that they literally killed him. But what he's getting at here is essentially these Jews, local, not the race, have closed their ears and shut the mouths of those who were carrying God's word. Remember, it all started when he said you received it as God's word. So they have essentially closed their ears and closed the mouths of those trying to carry God's word. And as bad... Paul says they're actively working to prevent the gospel from being shared everywhere else. In fact, they follow him to the next town and start raising trouble there. Why is that so serious? Why is that such a problem, preventing the gospel from being shared? They don't agree with it. Because if the gospel is what we think it is, If the gospel is what it says it is, the word of God, or as Paul wrote in Romans, the power of God for salvation to all who believe, if that's the gospel, then preventing it means they were keeping people condemned in their sin. That's why he uses this language. That the Jews, again, local, not the race, are filling up in the fullness of their sin, and the wrath of God has now overtaken them. And if there's three words that are pretty rare, 
pretty rarely spoken in church these days. It's probably those three, the wrath of God. We don't talk about it anymore, do we? Sadly, I would say no. What happens when we miss out on on considering, thinking, challenging ourselves with this idea that God has a wrath is that we miss out then on the power of God's grace. Because it takes a great grace to save us from the experience of a great wrath. If we don't have an appreciation for the heaviness, the weight of God's wrath, then we don't have the same joy for being released from it and giving grace to receive His love. So before we go on with the text, you might ask yourself the same question I did. Well, how can a good God have both a wrath and a grace? How does that work? It largely depends on our posture. It really largely depends on our posture. God's eternal love, always present love, is always calling to us. But when we deny it over and over again, when it is denied over and over again, hearts can get hardened. I've seen it. I've seen it in neighbors and friends. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in my own heart. Many of you know that uh, as a, it was as an adult that I came to faith. What happens is it's a denial of God's love and it turns sour and it turns into rejection and animosity. It's a progression, or I might even say like a regression of disbelief into an experience of wrath. And it sounds something like this, and I've heard it many times, even out of my own mouth long ago. I don't believe in God I don't want to hear any more about your Jesus. And then the last stage, and I hate him. I don't believe in God. I don't want to hear any more about that Jesus. And I hate him. You see, when the invitation of God's grace is rejected over and over again, when we silence the voice of God, it can turn into an experience of God's wrath. And that is, again, from our posture, our posture of rejection and denial. And he shows that here with the Jews, again, local, not the race. Now, stepping back to the text, in this text, Paul is addressing something with new believers that I do not think, again, is often enough discussed. And that's the idea of suffering. No one really warns you when you come to Christ. And again, I was there. Uh, A lot of people telling me about Jesus. A lot of people told me about grace eternal life, salvation. They didn't tell me, though, that I would suffer. And so I came to faith, and it was this initial joy of like, this is so great. I came to church. The the lyrics were like in 3D. The songs were in like super stereo. It was amazing. The prayers were so rich. The word was like amazing. But then right after that, there was like this euphoria, and then all of a sudden there's a bam. And I wasn't prepared for it. I I wasn't warned. And now, when I'm talking with someone who is a new believer or renewing in their faith, I warn them of this. Anytime we take a spiritual step of committing ourselves to Christ or really saying we're going to follow him, we will experience attack. We'll be attacked from within, from above, from around, from behind. We can be attacked physically. We can be attacked spiritually. We can be attacked relationally. We can be attacked professionally. 
So we want to talk a little more about suffering. And I want to share with you three things, three things that I've learned about suffering. Number one, there will be suffering with Christ. There will be suffering with Christ. Jesus told us that very clearly. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And I think he meant that, of course, for his followers, but he also meant that for the entire world. I don't have to explain this to you much. We're all wearing masks right now. We haven't been to church in months. And there's been crazy things going on in the world. In this world, we're going to have trouble. But it's especially bitter when, again, we've taken steps to be new or renewing in our faith, and there's this expectation of, like, endless joy and always, always peace and love. But again, we remember what Jesus said. He said, when the seed of the gospel gets planted, it gets attacked right away. He made a list. There was, like, you know, birds that peck at it. There were rocks that, you know, get, that crush it. There's a scorching sun and choking weeds. He said, a seed, though, must be planted on good soil in order to bloom and be prosperous. And that's a soft and humble heart. But here's the good news. Again, as we talk about suffering, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Here's the good news. We get to suffer with Christ. We have something that the... The world doesn't have until it grasps grace is that we get to suffer, yeah, but we suffer with Christ, with a greater hope that even gives purpose to our sufferings, whether they're personal or corporate. We endure, as we endure through suffering, we actually grow in our faith, in our love, and in a humble hope because we suffer, yes, but we suffer with Christ. And I know as I experience this great dip, and it happens pretty often when conflict or things come up again, attacked all the time. But I know that these things that I suffer now, I suffer with Christ. There's a purpose to them. And you continue to grow in confidence. And we don't have time for me to share with you some amazing stories I've heard of people that have gone through profound personal suffering with Christ and then emerged with such a rich and deep faith. Now, there may also be suffering for Christ. There may be suffering for Christ. When you start talking about Jesus, when you start living sacrificially for the church, which is what happened in Thessalonica, they were were living sacrificially for the church. When you start becoming more active and sharing your faith, there may be suffering for Christ. Jesus, in his preface for the passage on being salt and light, he said this, Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people revile you or persecute you or utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, he says, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I go back to poor Jason. This guy had just heard about the good news of Jesus as his Messiah. Then three weeks later, he's getting grabbed and dragged through the streets. Paul says, you became imitators of those who had suffered before. 
That was not something he chose, by the way. He became an imitator. He just fell into it. Let me be incredibly clear. A vibrant faith in Christ is worth any rejection or persecution you may face. A vibrant relationship with Christ is worth any rejection or any persecution you might face. I remember the church that I came to faith in. It was a a larger church in a a very success-driven suburb. And right about this time, every year, they would show the videos of the valedictorians who graduated from the local high schools that were part of our church. And we had a surprising number of valedictorians in our church. It was kind of interesting. Almost every year, there was somebody giving a speech. And they would show the highlights there. And it was amazing to me, as a new believer, to see these high schoolers, and they would be sharing at the greatest moment of their achievements, gratitude to God, expressing their faith in Christ, and even inviting friends and families and administrators to also come to learn more about Jesus as Savior and Lord. It was extraordinary. It was amazing. And I would watch some of these videos, and I got to know some of the kids. And yeah, I'll be honest, they actually weren't the most popular. They probably even were hated by some people. I'm sure they were denied some social opportunities. But they were very blessed and much respected. So my encouragement to any youth who are here today, and encouragement to you and to me, let's be more visible for Christ. Be a light. Be salt that creates a thirst in the world to learn more about Jesus. Live and share your faith vibrantly. You see, friends, there will be suffering with Christ. And there may be suffering for Christ. But our third option is, or there will be suffering without Christ. And by that, I go back to the wrath of God. As Paul wrote, the fullness of their sin. When we talk about suffering without Christ, I'm referencing the eternal separation from God, which is true, true suffering. Paul had concern for the Jews of that time. Again, local Jews, not the race of Jews. He said their sin had filled up and God's wrath had overtaken them. Well, how did that happen? It wasn't just that they fell into that. It's because they kept saying no, no, no. They said no to the prophets. They said no to God's word. They said no to Jesus. They said no to the gospel. They said no to the church. They said no to evangelism. They said no, no, no. And the thrust of God's irresistible love turned sour because of a posture of no. And what was once so compelling is now experienced as absolute and eternal rejection. I don't believe in God. I don't want to hear about Jesus. And I hate him. So today, friends who got the golden tickets, friends online, I have to ask you, have you said yes? Have you said yes to Jesus? 
Have you said yes from your heart? Have you said yes to him in your heart? Today, we mark a very special day, a day when we can start coming back to church. But I ask, have you said yes to coming back to Christ? To receiving the gospel, the good news, as God's true word, not human word, not Simon word. Have you said yes to God's gracious love? Have you said yes to Christ as your Savior? Have you said yes to following Him as your Lord? Have you said yes to the work of the church? Have you said yes to sharing His story with how you live and how you speak? Let's pray. Together we say yes. Lord Jesus, together we say yes. If we are suffering right now, Lord, maybe it's in a big way or maybe it's in a very personal way. Maybe there's a loss in our heart or an anxiety. If we are suffering right now, know this, we are not alone. And Jesus, you suffer with us. Continue to build up in us a faith and a humble hope. And if any are here who've been suffering for you, we say thank you. We ask for more opportunities to represent you, Jesus, in a thirsty world. And if we're hearing that calling today to be more vibrant in our faith to you, Jesus, then we say yes. And if we're here this morning and we fear that we might suffer without you, then we turn in our hearts towards you to be overwhelmed by your great grace. And we say yes to your glory. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can we stand?